Are you ready for the word this morning? Let's open our Bibles to the book of Matthew, please, chapter 16. And I'm going to read verses 13 through 19. Most of this is in red, so we're going to hear Jesus talking to us some very important information. And I trust that you will uh, be open, ready, receptive to all that the Lord wants to say to us. Verse 13 reads, When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, of course, which means Messiah, the anointed one, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for opening it to us today, for giving us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, that we would understand this as we should, that we would hear the message that you want us to hear this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you are in this place. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your anointing. And we ask your blessing upon this time as we spend it in the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Notice here that Jesus asked two questions in verse 13 and then another in verse 15. So two questions. And I'm sure you probably realize that Jesus never asks a question because he doesn't know the answer. He always asks questions for our benefit. They're not just rhetorical questions, but most all the questions Jesus would ever ask are questions to draw things out of us that we need to acknowledge, things we need to know. And to his credit, this time Simon Peter wasn't wrong. This time he didn't put his foot in his mouth. He got it right because he spoke of a revelation from revelation, which is a seeing, if you will, of something from God's perspective. That's what revelation is. It's seeing from God's perspective, which, of course, is the proper view. If you see things the way God sees them, you're seeing them in the right way. And it's interesting in this passage, as you, if you have a chance to maybe go back and study it, further as the week progresses, to understand that when Peter saw who Jesus was, Jesus showed him who he was. When he saw who Jesus was, Jesus showed Peter who Peter was. And that's how it works in the kingdom of God. The way to know your identity, who you are, and that's an important question, it's a hot-button topic today, isn't it? How do you identify? Well, we just thought we would tackle it in church on Sunday morning. 
from the Bible. It's not a new subject. How do you identify? You see, when you find out who Jesus is, as a believer, you find out who you are. As a Christian, our identity is wrapped up in who Jesus is. We're not just normal people who happen to go to church some. We're not normal people, average people who just happen to uh, uh, associate on a social level with a group of Christians. But if we're truly a Christian, then our identity is totally wrapped up in who Jesus is. So if you want to know who you are, you need to get a revelation of who Jesus is because we are in him. One of the greatest doctrinal truths of the New Testament is the truth we are in him. And in the New Testament, there are about 130 verses that have the phrase in him or through him or by him, those kinds of phrases. And it is such a powerful revelation to understand who Jesus is and who you are. That's where we get our identity. First and foremost, I'm a Christian. First and foremost, I'm in Christ. Everything else that I may do and everything else that I may be is secondary to that one thing. Now, that's where we get our identity as a believer, or that's where we should get our identity. But of course, we understand that not everybody does, and even a lot of Christians don't understand this concept. And so we want to take a little bit of time today to look at the fact of uh, what, uh, well, let's say it this way. We want to look at where we got our identity naturally as opposed to where we get it spiritually. Because if we don't get our identity from Christ, where do we get it? Now, according to psychologists, and you know I'm not one, they might consider me an interesting specimen to find out what, you know, I don't know. But according to psychologists, there are three major areas that determine who you are. Three major areas that affect our identity. The first one is obvious, genetics. Who your mother was, who your dad was, who your grandparents were. You know if you go for, uh, perhaps you're changing doctors or whatever, you move, you, you're getting a doctor, you go for the very first time to see your family doctor, as we call it, or your GP, you go see that doctor. One of the things that they're going to ask you is about your parents. They're going to ask you how long they lived or if they're still living. They're even going to ask about your grandparents. They want to know what, as we say, what runs in your family. Did anybody in your family have cancer? Did anybody in your family have heart trouble? Did anybody in your family have diabetes? You know, all kinds of questions they ask because they know that to some extent, your genetics help to determine how you're going to be. What happens in your body? Now, it's, it's not 100%, and it's not written in stone, as it were, but there are a lot of uh, probabilities where this is concerned. And so it tells them what to look for and what to uh, think about, as, uh, especially if you stay with them a long time and you get older and you begin going down the pathway, what, what to expect. So who our parents and our grandparents are or were has a lot to do with who we are. 
And you know, when you see, especially as you get a little older, you see a photo of yourself. And you just kind of, you know, one of those things where you're not expecting it and you just see it all of a sudden, just quickly. Or some, maybe a video. Somebody's got caught a video and caught you. And you see it and you almost wonder, who is that person? Is that grandpa? No, that's you. That's you. I remember one time my dad's, uh, we have a picture of my dad's mother and dad. I don't have a lot of pictures of them, but we have a picture of them. And, uh, of course, this was many years ago. So she's standing there, as women in those days always did, and she had on a dress. My grandfather, standing there with a suit coat on and a sweater, he always wore multiple layers of socks and underwear and everything else like that. And so uh, he's standing there, and so they're standing there as, as people used to do, you know, kind of at attention, they're standing there with their picture taken. Well, uh, we had that uh, picture was out somewhere, and my oldest grandson, who's now 27, but when he was a real little guy, uh, he was looking at the picture, and Glenna or somebody asked him, said, who is that? And of course, he didn't know who that really was, but in his mind, he said, that's Papa, talking about my dad, and Papa. And the reason he equated me with my grandmother is because in those days, I was the king of the bathrobe. <laughs> so I would stand around with, you know, I got away from that. You can be glad about that. I got away from that. I remember one time, I'll tell this story, it has nothing to do with spirituality, but anyway, I'm going to tell it. But I remember one time we were uh, living down in Pamplin, down where Doug and Regina live now, and I was, uh, it was after a service, and I was on the porch. You know what I'm talking about, sitting on the porch in my rocking chair. And uh, all of a sudden, the, I was in my robe. <laughs> so all of a sudden, these... We lived in the woods. Our house didn't face the road. Nobody could see me. <laughs> I dig the hole ever deeper. But anyway, I'm sitting there, and we know that that afternoon sometime, Brother Scott Stewart is coming. Uh, but we don't know exactly what time. He's driving from somewhere, and he's going he's to come. And actually, he stayed a few days with us. Well, uh, we're waiting, and so I'm there, and I'm in my bathroom. Well, I've been in his house and all this stuff. He'd seen me in this bathrobe before. And uh, so here I'm sitting there, very comfortable. And all of a sudden, there's some people from the church. Nobody here today. But people from the church pulled up, unannounced and uninvited. <laughs> and so I'm up on the porch. They're down here on the walk. And I'm standing there in my bathrobe, <laughs> as modestly as I can be, trying to address whatever it is. I don't remember what they wanted. And then all of a sudden, here Brother Scott pulls up <laughs> in his car. And that has been probably 25 years ago, and I have still not heard the last of that. <laughs> he said, I pull up, and he said, I see those alabaster legs. It was, it's a whole lot funnier now than it was then. I was, you know, it was kind of touch and go there. But anyway, uh, but my grandson thought that he was looking at his great-grandfather and his grandfather in that picture. That's genetics. 
Because if you'd see the picture, you could see that. Genetics. And of course, uh, your parents probably told you, you're just like, and there's somebody in the family. You're just like your mama. You're just like your daddy. Your spouse probably tells you, you're, you're just like, you know, whatever. Or that sounds just like, or that's just like. Well, what is it? That's genetics. Now, many people accept this information as the final say. And if something runs in the family, they make their plans to have it too. They make their plans for heart disease. They make their plans for diabetes. They make their plans for all these other things. And they'll even tell you about it. And they'll, they'll use that phrase, such and such runs in my family. And you can tell that's where their mind is. That's what their thinking is. But God has an answer to your genetics. God has an answer for your family tree, which may have produced a lot of nuts, but, but you know, you're not one of them. You're here. But God has an answer for your family tree. You know what it is? It's called the new birth. One translation refers to the new birth as being refathered. So your new birth triumphs over your old birth or your first birth. Your new family doesn't have that mess in it that the old family has. Who is your father? You don't have to go on a daytime talk show to find out who the baby's daddy is. We know who our father is. Can you say amen? amen? And we also know a little bit about what runs in our family. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance, power, love, and a sound mind. Hallelujah! Thank God I've been refathered. Thank God I'm not bound to my genetics. Now, my mom recently gave me a, a picture, an 8 by 10 picture of her dad. Is it all right if I tell these stories? Since I'm telling them anyway. All right. But she gave me this photo of my, my grandfather, her dad, when uh, uh, in the 40s, and he was in his army uniform. And uh, her, her mom and dad divorced when she was a young girl, so she was primarily raised by a stepdad. And this, her stepdad is my grandpa. But we're not technically blood-related or genetically related. Now, if I had that picture today and I showed it to you, you would say there is absolutely no doubt that that's her dad. That's how much there's a resemblance. But if you hung around my grandpa and you knew him, I'm talking about her stepdad, and you knew him, and you, was, you were around him in church, and you were around him at home, and you were around him wherever he was, you would know that he has had far more influence on us than the genetically accurate grandfather. Why? Because of the next element that I'm going to tell you about that helps form our identity, and that is environment. Where you are, where you have come from, and who you are around and have been around. Geography 
and the people around us help determine our identity in the natural. Attitudes and actions and even accents come from where you came from. Glenn and I have lived in central Virginia longer than any other single place in our lifetime. But I will go to my grave and nobody will ever think that I was born in Lynchburg. <laughs> Just because of the way I talk. And I want you to know, I know you probably don't believe this maybe, but I have worked on trying to clean it up. <laughs> but I have noticed, you know, in pastoring and you meet a lot of people. And today, in today's world, people come from everywhere. You know, we've got people in the church here today from all kinds of places. And I've noticed, and thank God for that. That's the way we want it. But my, po my point is, I've noticed that the accent that you grew into and grew up in, you almost never get rid of it. You almost never get rid of it. It's just, it's such a powerful determining factor. And it, you know, it makes you, to some extent, who you are. I remember years ago, and, and, and I, I'm doing better now than I was then, but years ago it was pretty raw, really. And I remember we went to the grocery store, and uh, we wanted to buy a bag of ICE. <laughs> so I asked Lynn, I said, you get the ice? She said, where are you all from? <laughs> she knew we weren't from these parts. But all of those things have to do with the environment that we grew up in and the environment even that we live in now. Now some people get their a major part of their identity from that and some people get their uh, a major part of their identity from their career. You know, they got their degree, they got their training and and they pursued this and they're good at what they do and so that's who they are, so to speak. Of course, the problem with that is, is when the company goes out of business, you've lost your identity almost. Or when you spent 40 years there, they only give you a gold watch. You know, you thought you were closer than that. You thought you, thought you guys had more in common. You see, it, some things are just not very stable where people get their identity. Some people get their identity from their hobbies some people, you know, their identities formed a lot from where they came from. There's such a big difference between rural identity or urban and, and urban identity. Amen? Yes. You know, there's a big difference between somebody that's a redneck and somebody from the inner city. Amen? People dress different. They talk different. Uh, you know, you, you, know you, you see a guy, he's, you know, he's... Got a four-wheel drive and a shotgun on the back of the window of the truck. And, and uh, you know, a, a squirrel tail flying from the radio antenna. You don't have to wonder, did he come from downtown Philadelphia? No, he didn't. <laughs> and you don't, you don't have to wonder about somebody that is just the exact opposite. Wondering if, you know, if they came from Amherst or... Or Appomattox County or Campbell. No, 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 no. You see, all that has, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's the way the world is we're living in. And part of the problem with the world we're living in is that everybody wants everybody to be what they are. And there are so many different people that's never going to be possible. The only way we can have real unity is in Christ. Amen. That's the only way to have real unity is in Christ.
So, even some people, and I've got to say this, some people, they derive their identity from, even from their disabilities or their sicknesses or diseases. And they want to tell everybody their trouble. They want to tell everybody what's wrong with them. You'll never rise above the thing that you keep always on your mind. So you better keep Jesus always on your mind. You better keep his benefits always on your mind. Amen? Now, if the new birth is God's answer to genetic determinism, what is God's answer to environmental determinism? Well, it's found in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6 where we're told that we are seated together with Christ in the heavenly realms. My geography has changed. My environment is different than it used to be. I am seated with Christ. That means I don't have to be limited in my expectations anymore. 2 Corinthians 4.18 tells us that the things we see are temporary. That means they are subject to change, but the things not seen are eternal. And I'm looking at those unseen things, unseen to the natural, but very real nonetheless. And I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. How can I go under when I'm already over? How can I lose when I'm already a winner? How can the devil put his mess of a curse on my life when God says I'm blessed? Even the Old Testament prophet uh, of old, you know, Balaam, who was totally messed up at the time, and he was ready to receive money to curse the people of Israel, and he finally went back to Balak and told him, he said, I can't curse whom God has blessed. And I'm one of those people. Hallelujah. The devil can't curse me. You can't curse me. Nobody can curse me. Because God says I'm blessed. God says you're blessed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The third major area of determinism for our identity is what the professionals call psychological. Psychological. And this is about how you think about things how have you been conditioned to think what are your current attitudes now experiences affect our thinking and information affects our thinking so it's really a simple matter of who have you allowed into your life to influence your thinking and your attitudes Who really does that? Have you ever met people who, at least a portion of who they are, comes from something that somebody else did or didn't do or an experience that somebody else had? For instance, uh, Grandpa bought a lemon vehicle, had lots of trouble out of it, never was right, dealer didn't do them right, the manufacturer didn't do them right, he just bought a lemon. And so I'll never buy that brand. That's what I'm talking about. You, you had somebody you respected, perhaps, you looked up to. They told you a certain story, a certain narrative. You believed it. And whether it was right or wrong, you believe it. And sometimes, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, but sometimes what we've heard isn't right. And the so-called professionals 
are not always right. And sometimes they just don't know and sometimes they're deceptive. But I'm telling you that what you think is controlling to a great extent how you're living. So I just asked this question because it's so important. Where does your information come from? Your psychological makeup, your psychological aspect has a lot to do with your identity. Take a little test and think about what am I drawn to? What am I attracted to? What do I like to listen to? What are the kind of stories I want to hear? What uh, do I feed my spirit on? And if it's a whole lot of um, strange things, a whole lot of conspiracy stuff, a whole lot of listening to angry people, a whole lot of uh, pseudoscience stuff, well, you can get messed up. There is an answer, just like the first answer to genetics was the new birth, and the answer to uh, environment was being positioned with Christ in heavenly realms. God's answer to this area of determinism is called the renewed mind. In Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what's this about? It's about God's thoughts becoming our thoughts. And this process is essential to your success as a believer. We all get born again wherever God has found us and we've surrendered. That may be in an uneducated state or an educated state. It, it might be uh, in a place where we have been in rebellion and disobedience. It might be uh, any number of places on the spectrum. But the fact is, wherever we come to Christ, we come to Him with what we have and what we are at that moment. And we're made a new creation in Christ. And one of the first assignments that every new Christian needs to accept and work on for the rest of your life on the planet is to learn to think about everything like God thinks. That's the way you succeed. And the more you renew your mind to truth, the more wisdom you will have. And the better decisions you'll make. And, and it'll get to the point where there are some decisions you will have absolutely enough of God's wisdom inside of you to make the right decision. You won't necessarily have to fast two days or pray for uh, five hours to get an answer. Now there may be, you know, I'm not knocking fasting or prayer. We need both. But I'm just saying that the more you renew your mind, the more you think like God thinks. And so therefore the more answers, right answers you have to all the questions that you'll have to face in your life. So these three areas have a lot to do with our identity. Genetics, environment, and our psychological profile, you might call it. But more powerful than all of these, and that's what we want to get to today, and we'll continue next week as we celebrate the resurrection. But more powerful than all these natural factors is our identity in Christ. Who we are in Christ. Just the realization, the revelation that you're actually in Christ will change your life. 
You aren't you entertaining Jesus. You're in Jesus. Amen. You're not you going to church some. You are a member of the body of Christ. You are the church. See, there's two different ways that people look at this. A lot of religious people, quote unquote, a lot of religious people, they look at, uh, they look at the whole thing of Christianity as something they do. When it's convenient and they feel like it and it's needful, they do that. And they would, uh, at least from their head, they would identify, yes, I'm a Christian. But there are many of those people that don't really know who they are in Christ. They really don't know that they're in Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Let's turn there. Most of you could quote this verse. But I'm going to ask you to turn there and I'm going to read it to you. I could quote it as well, but I'm going to read it. I want to look at it again with my eyes. I want to hear it again as we read it out loud. And I want you to read it along with me out loud. And I'm reading, of course, from the uh, version that Paul used. I'm, I'm reading from the King James, but you, you can use whatever you wish. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, Therefore, let's read it together. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Notice that. Anybody, we would say, that is in Jesus, anybody that is saved is a new creation. You have been created anew, born anew. And we're in Christ. And old things are passed away. Now, that's not talking about physically. You know, if you get born again today and, and uh, you know, you're five foot tall today and you get born again, you'll be five foot tall after you're born again. Uh, if, you're, if you're male today and you get born again, you'll still be male. You know, all those physical factors are the same. But it's your spirit that's made completely new. The inner man, which leaves us the other part of our existence, which is our soulish makeup, our mind, will, emotions, and intellectual part. And that's the part that we just talked about a while ago from Romans 12 too, that Paul said, you got to do something about that. You've got to work on renewing your mind. You've got to work on how you think. Now, if you get those three things lined up properly, your spirit's born again, full of the Holy Ghost, your mind renewed to the truths of the Word of God, and you're keeping your body under control, then you're going you're gonna to be able to have a great life. And if you don't, to whatever degree any of those are missing, you're in trouble. And so... More powerful than any natural factor is our identity in Christ. And knowing this identity takes the limits off of us. It takes the limits off of us. It opens the door to the supernatural realm. 
Now, I know I'm saying that very calmly, but this is really, really powerful. This is really life-changing. When you know who you are in Christ, it will take the limits off of that which you expect, the limits off of what you believe for. It'll take the limits off your life, and it will open the door to the supernatural in such a way that you will actually be able to enjoy the realm of the miraculous. Hallelujah. It will change your life forever. Praise the Lord. Forever. And God is that way. No wonder Paul said in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 2, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which is, which is not lawful for a man to other. So I want you to notice how Paul referred to all Bible scholars regardless of their uh, background in general, whether they're Pentecostal, non-Pentecostal, Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, whatever, almost every reputable Bible scholar in the world agrees Paul was talking about himself here. So he's saying, I knew a man in Christ. And he talks about that time when he was caught up into the, into the third heaven and how powerful and wonderful that was. But what I want you to get is this fact, I knew a man in Christ. He knew who he was. That's why he was so powerful at what he did. That's why he knew that nothing on the earth could make a difference like the things of God can make a difference. And so therefore the things of the earth had no effect on how he would function and live his life to any great degree. Now this is something that Satan is very intimidated by. If there's one thing he doesn't want a born again child of God to understand it's who he is or she is in Christ because it will change your whole life it will change everything as a matter of fact it will put you into the place again 2nd Corinthians if you turn to chapter 2 it puts you in this place that Paul spoke of and remember he could say this because he knew who he was in Christ he knew uh, the place that he was living in, spiritually speaking. And so when we know who we are in Christ, it puts us in this place, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 14. Now thanks be unto God, which always, everybody say always, always. which always causes us to triumph in Christ and makes manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place, notice, always triumphing. Always. This isn't win some and lose some. This isn't playing cards. This isn't playing the lottery. This isn't a game of chance. This isn't the luck of the draw. This is an absolute settled fact in the mind of God that every victory you will ever need to put you over in your life has already been bought and paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's ours to accept and receive and enjoy. <coughs> Hallelujah. A place <coughs> excuse me, of triumph. This in Christ identification factor helps bring us 
out of all the natural limitations and problems of our lives that hold us back. The grace and power of Jesus is far greater than the curse and the power of the devil and any of its effects. What we're going to get into next week, and we're beginning to wind this down. Y'all can come because we're going to sing that song we sung earlier about I am who I am. Because the I am tells me who I am. Everybody loves when Nick goes into his robot mode and does that part. Uh, <clears throat> Robo Nick. Anyway, but I, I wanted this song sung today, and I wanted it sung even after we preach, because it just goes along with what we're saying. And as we prepare to do that this morning, I want to make this statement, and we, we'll get ready to close. The Bible is basically about two men. When you boil it all down, it's about the first man, Adam. And Adam, by the way, Hebrew means man. The first man, Adam. And the second Adam, Christ. The Bible is basically about two men, Adam and Jesus Christ. What we want to learn further as we come again next time is that in our first birth which was natural, we were identified with Adam. So we were identified with sin. We were identified with the curse. We were identified with a fallen nature. And in our second birth, which is spiritual, we were identified with Jesus Christ. So righteousness, peace, joy, that's holiness. That's who we are in Christ. The law of identification, and we'll talk more about it, that worked against us through Adam works for us in Christ. Our identification with Adam on the spiritual level made legal Christ's identification with us on a spiritual level and we with him. Absolutely essential that he was born and live in a human body, absolutely essential that he would die in our stead, and absolutely essential that he would be raised from the dead. Amen. And that's why we're here today, Amen. because Jesus is alive. Yes. And because he lives, we live also. Yes. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your precious word. I thank you for the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And I thank you for the new creation in Christ. Heads bowed, eyes closed. You might be here today and you say, I'm not sure about that. For me at least. <clears throat> I've never received Jesus as Lord. Or maybe you have received Jesus as your Lord, but you've wandered away. And you've allowed sin, open sin, willful sin to come into your life. And you're not living as a Christian should live. And you need to repent. You need to ask God to forgive you. He said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe you've never made Jesus Lord, and I tell you, it's so simple and so easy. And I know, I know, I know that people think it cannot be that easy. It just couldn't be that simple. And if we had to make it happen, trust me, it would not be simple. 
But we don't have to make it happen. Jesus already did. His sacrifice was acceptable before the Father. And so in the new birth or in a recommitment to the Lord and receiving remission, forgiveness of sins, what we're doing is we're, we're taking advantage of the finished work of Jesus. He did the hard part so you could have the easy part. He did the bad stuff, and I mean by that the, the terrible, awful suffering, so you can have the good stuff. He didn't commit sin, but he became sin with our sins. He became sick with our sicknesses. He became poor with our poverty. He became shamed with the shame due to us. He was separated and isolated from the Father in the same way we were isolated and separated from the Father. So right now, whether you're watching at home or whether you're in this building, just say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I acknowledge you are Lord. I acknowledge you as my Savior. Father, forgive me of all my sin and cleanse me from my sin. I take, I receive, or I recommit, whatever the case may be for you. But I take Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior. And I will serve him all the days of my life. I'm going to heaven when this life's over. Because I'm right with God. Not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. I receive that now in the mighty and the glorious name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Amen, amen, amen. If you guys